right, you received a handout <clears throat> this morning, and that's very, very important. The focus of our lesson today, whoops, sorry, and uh, actually, well, today at least, uh, will focus on promises from God. And so you've received a little homework here. <clears throat> Some of these verses are going to be covered this morning, but you'll notice that uh, in the left-hand column, you'll jot down, I would do it neatly because this is worth keeping. Um, so I, uh, you, in the left-hand column, you would write down the promises of God, the prophecies and the promises regarding um, providing a Messiah for us, for our salvation, for our hope of heaven. And then in the right-hand column, you'll be using <clears throat> your Bible to find the New Testament fulfillment. Now, if you have a reference Bible, like I've mentioned in the past, uh, that might tell you where that verse is, all right? You, if not, you may need to go back to the uh, reference section of your Bible, perhaps, and, uh, and maybe find it that, that way, or you could ask somebody else, <laughs> all right? <clears throat> it's not a test. All right, but it'd be nice if you had, were able to have it filled out, and uh, we will uh, give you, we'll go through it next week just to make sure you have accurate information on there, but this is a very uh, important thing. <clears throat> you know, Satan would have liked to have had the answer sheet to this. All right, we're going to talk about that in a little bit, but uh, I think that's a great thing, and uh, the lessons that we're going to study have to do with the hope uh, with, with the Christmas lessons, and uh, there'll be five weeks of these, and they're very good, and uh, hopefully I can present them in a way that you can understand them. Now, the nature of the lesson today has a lot of verses in it, and we won't be covering all of these verses here, but um, there are a number of verses, and uh, we will put the reference up on the screen so you can at least write them down and uh, perhaps put a note beside them what they refer to. <clears throat> um, but they're very important because we want, to, uh, we want to track through the Old Testament, not every, not every prophecy, we can't do that, uh, but we'll go through the Old Testament and we will emphasize major prophetic promises from God the Father, and then we'll go to the New Testament and see uh, the New Testament fulfillment, and uh, I think it'll be a blessing to you. I think it will be a great help to you, and <clears throat> from the very beginning, remember, uh, when was Christ crucified? From before the foundation of the world, remember? So salvation was not an afterthought of creation. Salvation was a primary thought. Remember we said last time, I think it was last time, that God loves to be worshipped. God is love, and love loves to demonstrate itself. And God created us in his image so we could return that love to him. Now, in the Garden of Eden, which we'll talk about in just a moment, <clears throat> that was interrupted. All right, and it was interrupted by sin and, and uh, disobedience. And so God had a plan. It wasn't an afterthought. This was thought out 
in infinity by an omniscient God. All right? And uh, so what, is, what we're going to study today is profound. Don't lose sight of the profoundness of God's promises. And uh, that's what we want to focus on today. <clears throat> God promised that a Savior would be born, that he'd be born of a virgin, that he would be descended from the line of Abraham and King David, and that it would be, <clears throat> then in the New Testament, you know it was fulfilled. And those are just some primary promises. <clears throat> but the, the, the question today is, if I can make this work, is uh, what hope? does Christmas bring to you? Now, we think about our favorite things at Christmas. Um, some like the lights. Some like the festivities. Um, there's always busyness involved. Um, and it takes time. Uh, we have to set aside time to focus on what's important, don't we? And I'm so glad you're here today because we've got to focus on what the Lord did for us and why Christmas time is so important. <clears throat> we have different traditions and different uh, festivities, and they all don't look alike. They're different from home to home, more than likely. But we would have to agree uh, that there is a certain amount of hope and, uh, that, it, that comes with Christmas time. And the world focuses on the baby <clears throat> in the manger, in a nativity scene. But what hope does Christmas bring to us? And that's what we want to question this morning. Have I stopped to think about what Christmas, <clears throat> what the hope of Christmas means to me? <clears throat> Excuse me. So we're going to look at that from a biblical perspective. In a biblical sense... Let's define hope. Hope, of course, is uh, a rightful expectation or a confident expectation of what is to come based on the character and the promises of God. We know our God. We know he's faithful. We know that none of his promises are too good to be true. And so we're going to look at those today. And we're going to use that to um, focus on the hope that Christmas gives us in an eternal sense. You know, Christians ought to be the most hopeful people in the world. There's a lot of bad news out there. And there are a lot of things that don't go the way we would like for them to go. But we know, we've read the book. We know how it ends, right? And so we should be the most hopeful people in the world. And especially at Christmas time, we need to be hopeful before the unsaved and let them know where our joy and our hope comes from and upon what it is based. It's based upon the precious promises of God. And so we can be encouraged no matter what the holiday season may bring to us, we can be, a, we can be confident and assured that God's promises are faithful and true. And I hope that this will be a blessing to you this morning. God promised a Savior. <clears throat> you remember there in the Garden of Eden, that unhappy uh, event. There in the Garden of Eden, of course, when Adam sinned. Adam and Eve um, and Satan and the earth were all cursed. 
because of Adam's disobedience. Um, death was brought into the world for the first time. Nothing had ever died. Never a leaf had changed, changed color. Animals had never died. People had not grown old and died. All right? This was new. Death was new. And I'm sure it was hard for Adam and Eve uh, and even Satan to comprehend the concept of death. What is this? All right? Did it mean anything to Adam? I don't think it meant as much as he realized until after the fact. Um, but um, our sin separated us from God. And it was a major separation from God. And it could ultimately be an e eternal separation from God. And so we're going to go back into the promises of hope and redemption in the Old Testament. A lot of Bible scholars call these prophecies the crimson thread of redemption. And they draw a string or a line from promise to promise. And the, we're going to find out where the Christmas story begins. Can you think of where the Christmas story would begin? It's going to begin in Genesis chapter 3. All right? We're going to be reading a lot of verses, time permitting. So jot the reference down, if anything. Uh, and if you can get there, that's great. Oh, by the way, let me mention. Um, we spend a lot of money to bring wireless internet in here. We have an access point in here. We never told you the password. Would you like to have it? <laughs> Might be good. It just occurred to me this week, I thought, oh my goodness, we've never said anything about it. Well, you may have been able to find the Xfinity connection if some of you are using that, but uh, that's not coming from in here. It's coming from the other building, so your signal is probably pretty weak. But the uh, address, if you can scan for your wireless connection in here, it's uh, a guest uh, LCS networks A1. A1 stands for auditorium. That's the access point in the auditorium. So it's guest, if you find it, if you scan for it, it's guest LCS Networks A1. <clears throat> and the password, and if you share it with anybody, I'm going to have to, I don't know what I'll do. No, you're welcome to share it. Uh, just not with people out here driving by. We don't want people parked out in front here using our wireless. But for you folks here inside, the password is, are you ready? Maranatha. That's your password. Maranatha. Anybody know what Maranatha means? No? Okay. Oh, you might have to look that one up. But it means our Lord returneth. All right. So our password is Maranatha. And if you look at it, uh, you should get a nice strong signal in here. It's very strong. <clears throat> and I was thinking, oh, my goodness. Um, we've never given that. And that's who we bought it for. And so if you have... Um, a telephone or a tablet, you can download a very nice Bible if you'd care to have a phone, a Bible on your phone. I like to use Takarta Bible. It's T-E-C-A-R-T-A. -E and if you look at in the Play Store, it's got a blue badge, and it just says a Bible by Takarta. And it's very nice, a lot of features. A number of people have it in here. And it's, uh, it makes it very, very nice. One of the things uh, I do when I, when I go through my Bible, 
uh, I like to highlight a little bit, and I like to highlight promises in green. So when I was using, when I write in my Bible here, I've got a little green highlighter, and I use the pencil highlighters because I can erase them, because sometimes it's, uh, all right, so I can clean it up with an eraser. Uh, so pencil highlighters work great if you're writing in your Bible, if you, if you happen to have a tablet or a phone um, in this. You can see, I, I don't know if you can see it or not, but I highlighted, um, this is Genesis 12, 1 through 3, and I put the promise in green and the emphasis in yellow. I like to emphasize in yellow, so I thought, I'll just show you what I do, um, and, and that's very nice. The Carter Bible has many features, and <clears throat> I thought I would share that with you, and if you'd like to look for it, uh, several of us here can help you find it, uh, but it's a great blessing. And it, now that you know the password to the network, you can uh, actually put it to use. But we're going to look in Genesis chapter 3, verses uh, 14 through 19. So let's take a moment to read these. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above all beasts of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. We are told that the serpent originally um, perhaps moved upright. Uh, Don had a trouble with the, the ones that were crawling on the ground. I think the one walking upright would bother me even more. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, but the result of the curse, of course, was that he would um, uh, go about on his belly um, and he would eat the dust of the earth all the days of his life, all right? And I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. Uh, and in thy conception, in sorrow, thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return to the ground. For out of it wast thou taken... For, for dust thou art, and from dust thou shalt return. So what is this verse saying? Well, God is placing a curse on the serpent, on Eve, on Adam, and all of creation because of their sin. <clears throat> Adam's going to struggle in his work, and he's going to die and return to the dust. Eve, of course, is going to experience pain in childbirth and struggle uh, to submit to her husband. The serpent is going to be the cursed cursed above all beasts and will slither on his belly in the dust. But something was different. If you can look back at Genesis uh, 3, verse 14, uh, verse 14 is addressing the serpent. But who is addressed in verse 15? Whoa, Satan himself. Satan himself is addressed. And the Bible says that um, to Satan... God said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman. That's between her 
and uh, uh, between thy seed and her seed. And it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise uh, his heel. God turns his attention. <clears throat> and how is Satan cursed? Satan is cursed because he's going to be a war with the seed of the woman and her offspring, and he will ultimately be defeated. Did Satan believe God's word? Yes, he did. He took great note of what this meant. You know, he was familiar with God prior to creation. And he believed God. He believed him so much that he tried to follow the seed of the woman. All right? But God frustrated him over and over and over through history. And we don't have time in the scope of our lesson today to do that. But if you would keep that in the back of your mind how God reveals things a little bit at a time to give him a little more information <clears throat> of who this promised one is, and he's going to try to destroy him um, and stop that promise from taking place. And he wasn't successful. Um, uh, I'm sure you uh, know that already. So what does this passage have to do with Christmas? Well, in Genesis 3.15, we have the first time that the Savior is promised. That's the first time the Savior is promised. And so right there is the hope of Christmas. And we're going to fill out our, our outline just a little bit, time permitting, as we can. So there is hope because a Messiah will come, a Savior will come, who will restore the relationship that was lost with God, and Satan will be defeated. And again, Adam had not encountered Satan before, um, and uh, this now he knows he's not the best uh, one to trust. And so we have the first foreshadowing of the gospel in Genesis 3.15, and so we're going to quickly uh, trace this promise through the patriarchs, and uh, we're going to quickly look at these verses if you want to jot them down. I think they'll, uh, you can look at them again later. But what did God promise Abraham? And we, our first verses are from Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. It's often called the Abrahamic covenant. Our God is a covenant-making God. All right? And this is the first covenant uh, of Scripture, and it's with Abraham, and it was a promise. God chose Abraham, a man of faith, to be the father of a great nation and have a special descendant who would bless all families of the earth. All right? And so Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, we'll read that quickly. Now the Lord said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. This isn't to just the Hebrews. These are not just to the descendants of Abraham. This is to all families of the earth, including our families. All right? And so God made this promise to Abraham. And so it is a promise looking toward a distant future. 
and it promises that there is a Savior that's going to come. Our second verse is in Genesis 17 and 19. God's promise to Abraham is passed on to his son Isaac in Genesis 17 and verse 19. And God said, Sarah thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. And so the Abrahamic covenant is repeated. No, no new real information other than it was passed on through the patriarchs. Next, Genesis 28, 14. His promise was then passed from Isaac to, to Jacob. And now remember, this is God stating these promises to these patriarchs. Genesis 24 and verse 18. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, right out of the, book, uh, right out of the Abrahamic covenant. And thou shalt spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And in thee uh, and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. No real change yet. All right. Now the promise is passed from Jacob to his son Judah. And we're at the, near the end of the book of Genesis, chapter 49, verse 10. And this is God's promise to Judah, the scepter, speaking of king, kingly authority. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, all right, and that's the tribe of Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. Shiloh is another a uh, Hebrew term for the Savior, for the Messiah. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be. So what new promise was given? Satan is listening in, remember? He's looking for some new information. What was the new information? The new information was that an eternal king would come from the tribe of Judah. That's important. Satan's jotting that down, isn't he? All right, well, in the first book of the Bible, the, we've looked at five clear promises of a Savior, of a Messiah. Mankind has fallen. All of creation is cursed. But there's hope for a future blessing that would bring, uh, be a blessing to all the families of the earth. All right, that's a great promise. Well, God continued to uh, give these promises uh, in the Old Testament to King David himself. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 and 13. And to David, God says, And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom, and he shall build an house for my name. Who was that? Solomon. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. In other words, <clears throat> at which uh, I don't want to spill the beans just yet, but yes, um, the, this eternal king is going to sit on the throne of David. All right, it's going to come from the lineage of David. Satan has more information. Do you recall all the trouble that, Adam, that uh, David had in his family 
and particularly uh, among his sons. Satan was trying to stop it. All right? Of course, David brought some of it on himself, but don't forget, Satan was trying to stop the seed of David. He wasn't going to allow the Savior to come and sit on the throne of David. And so now we come uh, to Isaiah 11, 1 through 5. And we have the divided kingdoms, and we have the various kings. Uh, but Isaiah chapter 11, verses uh, 1 through 5, new information. And I will, and there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse. Who is Jesse? David's father. Well, y'all are sharp. All right. This is David's father. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Now, we know who this is. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked and righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. And I can't help but see the returning Christ in Revelation 19. Can you? That's an amazing promise. But Abraham and David died before these verses were fulfilled. They didn't see the fulfillment of these verses. But God wasn't through. He continued to give more information through the prophets about this coming Savior. And he promised them that uh, the Messiah would, uh, about uh, who the Messiah would be, where he would be born, and other critical information. All right? So let's begin with Zechariah 9, 11, uh, 9 and verse 9. All right? Rejoice great. Oh, let's see. God said that the Messiah would be just and lowly, would be a just and lowly or humble king bringing salvation. That's what this verse says, that the Messiah would be a just and lowly or humble king bringing salvation. Now, Zechariah 9, 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon the colt, uh, the foal of an ass. We know what that is. What verse is that referring to? It's referring to the triumphal entry. All right, and he's going to come He's going to be a just and humble king, and he's going to bring salvation. Familiar verse, Isaiah 7 and verse 14. He's going to be born of a virgin, and his name is going to be called Emmanuel. All right? Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Satan's busy taking notes. I have a name. 
All right? I have a name now. And I know I'm going to be born of a virgin. So this is critical information for Satan. Then we go on to Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 7. And this child will inherit the throne of his father, David. Confirmation of previous prophecy. All right? Now we have this. He's going to be the one. And so uh, in Isaiah 9, 7, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Another great and tremendous promise. And then God revealed to his prophets where this Messiah would be born. Familiar verse again, Micah 5, 2. But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. He's the eternal God. All right. And where is he going to be born? Bethlehem. Got it. All right. Got it. Now he's going to live in Egypt. Hosea 11.1. 1. When Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. Aren't these rather specific promises? Aren't they rather specific? Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1. He's going to enter the temple in Jerusalem. Malachi 3.1. Behold, I will send my messenger... And he shall prepare the way before me. Who is that? John the Baptist. All right. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. All right. Page two. God's promises fulfilled. We'll have to hurry. All right. After Malachi's prophecy, you know there was 400 years without another message from God. 400 years of silence. But in the town of Nazareth, in Galilee, an angel appears to a young woman named Mary, and the message from God was incredible. Mary had been chosen by God himself to bear the Son of God. And of course, She's confused, how can this be, knowing that I'm a virgin? And the angel, of course, told her that the power of the Holy Spirit would conceive this son. And Mary responded uh, with humble obedience. So now let's quickly look at these New Testament fulfillments. God's promises fulfilled. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph, who was also of the house of David. Mary was of the house of David. Joseph uh, also from the house of David. But that did not come into the fulfillment of the prophecy because she was a virgin. All right. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. 
And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. And he shall be great and he shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him what? the throne of his father, David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. I have a little problem with this verse. It's the word thing. The Greek word is hagios, used 220 times in the New Testament. 156 times it's used as the word holy. 62 times it's used as saint. Four times it's used as one, as a, an individual, one. And lastly, one time as the word thing. I have no idea why the translators chose to use an inanimate object to describe the one who was coming. Um, and so I think it would be better to use the word one there. And so uh, I would read it like this. Therefore also that holy or most holy one uh, which shall be born of thee shall be called the son of God. Um, it's fine the way it is. I'm not arguing about that. I just think it would be more appropriate to use a person, all right, a personal word, all right? And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her who, is called, who was called barren, for with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word, and the angel departed from her. So God chose Mary and Joseph to be the earthly parents of the Savior, Jesus. And again, as we mentioned, uh, both in the lineage in Matthew and in the lineage in Luke, uh, both are from our descendants of both Abraham and David, making Jesus the promised descendant who would bless all nations and establish an eternal kingdom. Now we go to verse uh, Luke 2. Jesus fulfilled the promises and also the prophecies about his life being born in Bethlehem. And I don't have time to read all these, but you know exactly what this verse has to say, that Jesus was, in fact, born in Bethlehem. She brought birth, uh, forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. Then we go to chapter 2, 22 and 38. Uh, when God promised that this, this promised Messiah would enter the temple in Jerusalem. And in this, this is a rather lengthy passage, but this is where he is recognized by Simeon. Um, and in verse 27, it says that Simeon was brought into the temple by the Spirit. All right? And he immediately recognized that Jesus was the promised Messiah, and he makes some pronouncements himself. Anna, who was also a widow and had been in the, um, had been a widow for 84 years, <clears throat> also recognized the, uh, the Messiah and 
uh, praised God and um, gave thanks that the Lord had kept his promise. Jesus then fulfilled the promise of God by living for a time in Egypt to be safe from, the, from King Herod. Remember, Satan got a little behind the ball here and decided we've got to get Herod to kill all the baby boys in this, uh, because we've got to stop the Messiah. <clears throat> that wasn't successful because the, spirit, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt and be there until I bring thee word, for Herod will, seek, Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. And shortly later, uh, the angel of the Lord called him out of Egypt and the, this prophecy was fulfilled as well. These are powerful evidences of the promises of God. No single little baby could fulfill all of this on his own. These are the acts and promises of God. And so we began the lesson this morning by asking you, what is your hope of Christmas? I'm going to share you with you what I hope is yours. It's the blessed hope. What is the blessed hope? The blessed hope is our Lord is returning. All right? Our Lord is returning. And he's going to receive uh, those who have trusted Christ as Savior uh, to himself. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Do you have any problem believing that promise? I don't. God has convincingly shown that he is a God that keeps his word, he gave us a promise beginning in Genesis chapter 3, and we saw it through the conclusion of, of the birth of Jesus Christ, and it was fulfilled exactly. And we could go on for hours talking about the promises in the Old Testament that are fulfilled in the New, specifically regarding the Messiah, Jesus Christ. I have one other thing to mention before we leave, and that is... <clears throat> How do we acquire this promise? What if I don't have that blessed hope? Well, the good news is that God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, this Savior, Jesus Christ, died for us. And if we receive Christ as Savior, if we repent of our sins and receive him as our Savior, that blessed hope can be yours. And so I hope that uh, if you're not, if you can't claim that promise as your own, that today you'll hear what you need to hear and you'll receive this promised Messiah. Christmas is a lot of things to a lot of people. It's a time to celebrate, certainly a big family time. Uh, but most importantly, we want to focus on the miraculous nature of Jesus' birth, not just the baby, but the scope and, and total of the promises of God and his 
faithfulness to keep his word. All right, let's stand and be dismissed.